Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Now that doctors and patients have discovered the many benefits of hemp-derived CBD, Alpine Miracle's Nano Emulsion CBD formula is one of the most bioavailable on the market today. It's 100% THC-free, so you can order it online anywhere in the U.S. Order yours today at alpinemiracle.com. Scientists are just beginning to understand its essential role in maintaining optimal health. Get yours today. Use the code REPORTER and receive 10% off. Don't wait. Get it now at alpinemiracle.com. And now, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and as always, delighted to be here. If you are one of the three people left in the United States who still believes hemp makes hippies high, then you might be surprised to learn that nearly every one of our founding fathers believed hemp was a vital necessity for the future prosperity of our nation. And there was really good reason for that. Hemp fiber was a staple commodity used to make everything from textiles, food, and medicine to paper, composites, and fuel. It was bread and butter to early American farmers. There were only a handful of people who saw hemp as a threat, and historians today would agree that they masterminded one of the most artful publicity campaigns in our nation's history to abolish hemp as our primary resource in order to exploit fossil fuels that would transfer the wealth into their own pockets. It was a complete fallacy that has continued to this day. With a handful of special interests that have worked tirelessly to keep hemp illegal in this country, it was actually quite refreshing to hear Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell come out in favor of hemp legislation that's actually pending in the House and Senate. The timing couldn't be more perfect. The revitalization of hemp could actually usher in a new era of economic prosperity. And with April 20th, the de facto cannabis holiday right around the corner, foreshadowing Earth Day on April 22nd, the timing couldn't be more perfect to really bring the conversation into the mainstream. To do that, we have two returning guests who happen to be leading the charge to revitalize the American hemp industry. First, let me introduce Michael Bowman. He's the founding chair of the National Hemp Association, and he's been working with policymakers on the upcoming legislation and spearheading the modern Hemp for Victory campaign. Michael, thank you so much for coming back. Hello, Snowden. It's great to be back. And I can't wait to hear your news. But first, let me also introduce Greg Flaval, who has been on the show before and is literally building the hemp comeback with his company, Hemp Technologies. He's also starring in the upcoming Hemp Home Build TV series, which is being directed by none other than Hempster's very own Diana Oliver, who made Hempster's plant the seed back in the day. Greg, thank you so much for coming back. Hey, Snowden, how are you doing? 
I'm doing really well, thank you. So I'm excited to kind of launch into this. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have both of you on again was because we've got a lot of events coming up around Earth Day and around 420, which, as I said, has sort of become the de facto uh, cannabis holiday in the United States, at least for the cannabis insiders anyway. And also, I want to start talking about the TV series, Greg, that you're working on. But Michael, let's start with you. Can we follow up real quick about the Hemp for Victory campaign? Where is that and how far along is it? We can. So we're at a very exciting juncture right now. We'll officially launch the campaign later this month. But two of our founding sponsors are well on the queue and on their way to making a splash of their own as we approach that day. Uh, one of the one of the two uh, founding uh, sponsors, foundation sponsors, is New Belgium Brewery, and uh, they announced their Hemperer beer uh, last week in, in New York City and their support for our campaign. So we have an we have an official beverage of the campaign. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the beer is uh, is made from with uh, with with standard hops and 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 uh, hemp hearts and then terpenes that. Uh, Create a very, uh, uh, you know, a very uh, unique experience uh, in drinking the beer, and uh, it is licensed to uh, be distributed in all 50 states uh, minus one. So I'm going to say 49 states. Uh, Kansas has chosen to opt out of this for some unknown reason. <laughs> um, oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. So you know, well, you know, there always has to be one, right? So is that, is that Kansas, the state, or Kansas, the city? Kansas, the state. They still consider CBD even to be illegal in that state, don't they? They haven't passed any kind of legislation as far as I know. Oh, they do. Yeah. Kansas has been uh, has been uh, clearly at the back of the pack uh, on this. And, and interestingly enough, you know, our farm is literally within in Colorado's within in a stone's throw of Kansas. And we have, you know, farmers just over the state line. Literally, we can you can stand up at the, you know, the top of our tractor and look east and see Kansas. And uh, they're just beside themselves. Uh, you know, they're, they're being shut out of these opportunities. Uh, I think there is some hope that maybe there'll be a small movement in this in this year's legislation. But they have been, uh, it's been really slow to come around uh, in the land of Oz. Oh, I can only imagine. And Greg, you've got some events coming up as well, don't you? Well, we've. I think Michael and I are actually speaking at a couple of them. And, and Michael mentioned New Belgium Brewery. They're doing a launch, I think, is it Michael, 19th of April? Uh, yes, uh, the 19th of April in uh, Encinitas here in California at the Roxy. So I'm, I'm, Michael's going to be there talking about, you know, obviously hemp legislation and hemp, you know, let's grow hemp for victory. And I'm going to be there talking about hemp building because I love building with hemp. Oh, yeah. And I'm really convinced that hemp is the future of the building industry and it needs to be, quite frankly, especially in disaster zones, as we were talking about um, the last time that you were on the show. Mm. But one other thing, too, there's a big push, I think, right now going on with the new hemp bill, which I had spoken to Congressman Comer about a while back. Do you have any updates on that, Michael? Uh, we do. So, uh, um, you know, this is the, this is the third time uh, in the, that the uh, Industrial Hemp Farming Act now will have been introduced in the Senate. It was introduced on the 113th. You know, and the 114th, uh, with with uh, Senator McConnell as the lead code sponsor then as well, uh, and it and it's really just kind of gives you a sense of how far we've come as a country. Because two years ago, when he was the prime co-sponsor on the last bill, the media didn't pick it up. There wasn't much, you know, there really wasn't much buzz around it. 
you know, now uh, it, it uh, you know, is getting a lot of press. Uh, and, and I think it, it really just talks to how ready we are to have this discussion nationally. I think we've done our, we've done the hard work. We've, we spent the last uh, four to five years uh, promoting this injury, industry funding ways for uh, entrepreneurs to, to grow. And, you know, it's been five years now this summer and th- this June uh, when I wrote the language for uh, 7606 on the farm bill. And, and uh, we've, we've, we've come this, you know, we've come this far now. We've built an industry really on the back of 7606 and it is, and it has accomplished its purpose. We wanted to be able to get this industry uh, with enough of a foothold to to show what it and demonstrate what it could do, uh, so that we can be be making the economic case uh, for this industry. And I think that's you know that's that's where we're at. Uh, you know, we it, this this plant so holds you know so much promise for the future. And even um, the senator uh, McConnell himself said uh, during the press brief that you know it, it does hold that potential to be a significant contributor to the agricultural economy. So I, you know, for for me and for hundreds of others of us that have been out there, you know, in the in this space, you know, doing each of us doing our part in this, I think it's very gratifying to see that we we you know we're at a time now where we now have a Senate companion bill uh, to the House companion. You know, the House bill was was filed last July. So it's been sitting there, uh, you know, awaiting its companion in the upper chamber. And, and uh, now we're, you know, now we're set. So let's hope that we can, uh, our campaign, the Hemp for Victory campaign will be uh, really keyed in on um, helping make sure we get the support we need from the grassroots, from the consumers, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, and this isn't just about uh, farmers and and making sure that they can grow it. This is also about making sure consumers, you know, have a choice to have a better product, whether it be food, feed, fuel, fiber, uh, foundations, you know, uh, you know, building materials, whatever it might be. We want the consumers to have a, ch- uh, you know, to have that choice, and that it comes from this very exciting crop. Michael, I really like what you've said there about food, fuel, shelter, and jobs. Can I also add maybe world peace? Because. <laughs> <laughs> This is a whole economy in and of itself. You know, something I have to agree with that, and if you don't mind, um, Michael, I'll jump in real quick because one of the things that just strikes me about the hemp movement, and especially with the policymaking around hemp, is that this is one of those issues in in a sharply divided Congress and sort of dysfunctional Washington that we have right now that all parties could agree on if they just opened up their mind enough to allow it to happen. And if we could get the special interests out of the way, because I'm still very convinced that it's the special interests that have the ears of some of these uh, legislators who are really preventing any affirmative vote from going through. Uh, What's your feeling about that? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, that 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 happens. I've I've been in in D.C. enough of uh, over the last fifteen years, uh, you know, a good share of that time to be generally naive and cynical about almost everything now. <laughs> and I'm a very positive person, so you know, I started from a good spot, and they've they've they've, they've jaded me jaded me some somewhat. But uh, we we will we will have those battles, uh, and and we just need to be ready for them. I think what you're we're seeing today with you know, the, the, this, this youth movement and grassroots movement that we're all ready for change. And we, we have tools now to, you know, to activate the, the political support, because I think, frankly, we're just done with this nonsense. <laughs> and we just need to, we need to get on and we're in, and the politicians will either lead, or they'll, they'll be, you know, they'll, they will have to get out of the way. We, uh, the, uh, 
like the old saying, if you, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. So, uh, irrelevance. That's, that's a really good thing because that couldn't, couldn't be farther from the truth right now. And, and we've seen it, you know, from the women's movement to these kids who will not be kids come November. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for change if that's, uh, if that's what's desired, especially from this new crop of voters who are coming out. And Greg, I want to bring you back in, so I'll let you take the floor. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. Thank you for jumping in, because I was saying, you know, this means world peace as well. I mean, for goodness sake, this is a whole economy that we're talking about, from the, from the flowering heads all the way through to the roots of the plant. We are, we are using everything of this plant. What Greg's saying, Snowden, is in the, in the peace side, and you'll, I don't believe Greg's even had a chance to see our, our, our logo yet, but uh, we have a logo designed for the campaign by uh, Shepard Ferry, you know, the famed uh, street artist in Obey Clothing and, and the Obama Hope poster, uh, amongst some of his, uh, his credits. Uh, but the, uh, the, the symbol, that I'll say, does include the peace dove. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> when we were, you know, in our in our conversations with with Shepard as he was trying to, you know, come up with you know what this is going to look like, and we talked about uh, in the case of this campaign, we're the 75th anniversary of the World War II campaign, uh, and that campaign was run by the Warhemp Industries Corporation. But we've got the juxtaposition juxtaposition of of war and peace, and I think it, you know, to your point, as we're watching these kids, and we understand that we don't have to spend our treasures, both our, our blood and our youth and our, our financial treasures, you know, for war anymore. This is, you know, we, we, this is an abundant world if we just managed it right and used the right tools uh-huh. that we have being this plant. We don't have to do this nonsense, and uh, I think the, these kids are gonna, giving us a, a little glimpse of, of how we can change the future and change it sooner than later. Hemp, hemp, hooray. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) But yeah, well, when you say world peace, that's what made me think of how hemp is one of those things that can bring people together because it is something that'll solve a lot of the problems. From my perspective, I see, you know, so many issues, economic issues cause a lot of the unrest and people know that they can have opportunity with hemp. But I think also with the hemp for victory, if that's something that can transcend some of the bubbles, because one of the problems we have right now is that so many people go to their own little bubbles to get their news. You know, there are people who are loyalists only to Fox or people who are loyalists only to MSNBC, mm-hmm. for example. And mm-hmm. on Facebook, you know, they go to the groups where they hear news that agrees with their point of view. And if hemp or if the hemp for victory campaign can transcend that it is one of those truly nonpartisan issues that could bring people together to solve some of those extra problems you know the lack of jobs or economic woes in some of these cities that have declared bankruptcy 10 times you know on the middle of nowhere mm. you know I, I think it is a testament to this plan if you look when looking back in the 114th congress uh, when we had the bills and the both both the bills uh, Senate and House version, uh, we had broad bipartisan support. We had we had Senator McConnell as a prime co- co-sponsor on the Senate side, along with uh, you know liberal Ron Wyden, and on the House you had uh, Congressman Jared Polis and uh, and uh, Congressman uh, Tom Massey from Kentucky, who are just polar opposite opposites politically, but they agreed on this and got along well on this, and 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 it just. What it really did was was demonstrated the utter dysfunction of our political system right now because we have a we have an issue 
of which there was broad bipartisan agreement uh, that we should have a fix to this. And, and still in the last Congress, we couldn't get anything done. Uh, so I think we're, we're seeing some thawing, uh, uh, I hope, uh, on this issue uh, in this Congress. And, and the irony is, you know, I think only Nixon could go to China. Only, Texas, only a Texas oil man like George W. Bush could, could uh, put a renewable uh, fuel standard in place. You know, maybe, you know, maybe this administration is the only one, a teetotaler president can end, help us end prohibition on a portion of this plant. So um, I think that, I think we've got a lot to be hopeful for, cautious optimism, but, uh, uh, but I think we're, we're about there. While I agree with you, I think that we're going to see this change in our lifetime. And I say our lifetime because I know I'm a few months older than you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, have, we are experiencing globally a shortage of lumber. Now, you know, pine, Douglas fir, all these trees, they take 10 to 20 years to grow. You know, we can grow the insulation for a, a new house in 12 to 14 weeks. And the thing is that, you know, even if we put aside just 1% of agricultural land in this country, we could insulate every new house in this country every year and save these trees. And we use 30% less lumber in our, in our construction principles and practices anyway. And, and I think, and I agree, I mean, Greg, I, and, I, and I believe we're going to see this in, in, in you know, in a, in a short period of time. And if you think back, you know, to 1943, which is just six years beyond when the Marijuana Tax Act was, was, was put in place, you know, that was a period of time when, when a titan such as Henry Ford envisioned a bioeconomy. We were at a real fork in the road, mm-hmm. late 30s and early 40s. He envisioned a bioeconomy. And the titans of the of the day, um, you know, steered us toward a hydrocarbon economy. So we've spent, you know, at the eight decades, uh, yeah. clearly creating a lot of prosperity, but but a lot of negative externalities with that, and and not not the least of which is 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 the the money we spend on, you know, uh, the the Strait of Hormuz and making sure that that, that the fuel line that the oil lines stay open, and you know, and you could we can one thing imagine a world that would have what what we might look like today had we gone down a bioeconomy. Uh, in, a, in a green in a green world, uh, and my grandfather had a great talk, you know, a great saying about that. There's two great times to plant a tree, you know, 20 years ago and today. Uh, now we're talking about saving them, Greg. But you mm-hmm. know, we can't do anything about what what happened in 1937 to 1943 with Henry Ford being derailed and going to that oil-based economy. But we can mm-hmm. do something about it today. We we know better. Let's do better. Right here, here, hemp, hemp, hooray! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm convinced also that there's potential for hemp actually to mitigate some of the problems that are being caused by that hydrocarbon economy that you're talking about. And one of them, I actually had a great conversation with the founder of Hemp Inc. a few weeks ago, and he's actually in the process right now of developing a product that will replace the petrochemical version of I forget what he called it, but it's to line the... It's called lost circulation materials. Thank you. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, rather than plugging up a a hole from fracking that allows gases and oil to seep into our water tables with petrochemicals, now you can do it with a natural substance that's, you know, not going to leach some more toxic material into the water table. Well, I I think I need to step in here because I know a lot about LCMs. Okay. Um, and corn has predominantly been the LCM of choice. 
Now, about three years ago, we actually did a study with uh, hemp cellulose a, as an LCM material, and we and where corn is about at about fifteen hundred psi, and the hemp comes in at twenty six hundred psi. So it's uh, it's better helping with those downhole fractures for loss as a loss circulation material. And just to put this into perspective for your listeners. Loss circulation materials are used to mitigate and reduce the amount of fluids or drilling fluids that are being lost down a hole when they're drilling for oil. So when they're drilling through granite and sand and rock and yada, 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 they're going to create fissures or cracks that need to be plugged so they're not losing all that drilling fluid for their, for their drilling pipe. And uh, so we have done, we did extensive research about three or four years ago, and I've worked on oil rigs, so that's just why I understand this, this uh, scenario. Um, because every drilling rig, of which there are about 5,000 land rigs currently in the United States, need to have, by law, a container of LCMs on site. And most um, containers are petrochemical-based products. So yes, um, having a cell- cellulosic LCMs would be better, but they have been using, uh, by preference, um, corn. But the corn is better used as a feedstock, as we all know. It's it's uh, GMO, Monsanto, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we need to, you know, get away from that into to natural materials. And the and the hemp has proven because of its hygroscopicity to be sixty um, percent better than corn as, an, as a lost circulation material. Yeah, and also corn is notorious, uh, especially the corn that's grown for industrial purposes. It's notorious for its glyphosate characters, which is, you know, really not healthy. And I mean, you may know a lot more about this than I do, but it seems to me that one of the biggest complaints about fracking from the environmentalists is the fact that the gaseous materials do wind up contaminating the aquifers underneath the earth. And so, you know, if you're using corn and it does leach these, you know, microscopic chemicals born from the Roundup ready agricultural practices of GMO corn, I I would think that hemp grown without, without those toxic chemicals would be far healthier. Now you're actually touching on another subject that you may or may not want to record this, Snowden, but we're talking about prescription drugs now that are contaminating our waterways, in which case we can't, and as a result, we can't uh, recycle a lot of the water from hotels and so forth because of those um, contaminants from prescription drugs. Whereas with the top, of the, the top third of the industrial hemp plant, you have medicinal purposes um, you know, coming into play that uh, is all totally natural. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blank that out at all. Cause I think that's a very big issue that we do need to address. And you know, what was it today? Uh, I forget in which state it was, but um, I just heard it briefly because I was too busy to sit down and listen to news or read anything other than, you know, my work at hand. And Sanjay Gupta's, who I heard talking about, he was saying that, you know, there's yet another big catastrophe looming in one of the Midwestern states. Just today, the news came out that the water is just too dangerous to drink. There's no safe drinking water within large swath of land. Do you know anything about that? Well, he might have been. It's possible. Uh, I, I know that there's a, a specific case for you know Des Moines and, and getting their water out of the Coon River, 
uh, you know, and that is directly related to, you know, the agricultural runoff and the runoff from uh, much of the, from many of the, the, the CAFOs and the over application of, of manure from those CAFOs. Uh, and so they're, they're, you know, in, in, in Iowa, two or I think two uh, legislative sessions ago, you know, they were trying to, they were being forced to move uh, money out of a state education budget to try to come up with enough money to build, uh, you know, water purification plants in a river that was once pristine. And, you know, so that goes really, that really goes back to the, to, you know, to the issue of, of corn and, and monoculture and pesticides and, and what we're doing, we're not only, you know, ruining the drinking water for, you know, cities along these rivers that, that, uh, that depend on it, but we're creating a, a dead zone in the Gulf that's the size of, the, at least the size of Texas the last time we knew. And, uh, and you know, so we, we, we've, we've got to find ways to take this, this, this current production model that we have, you know, and change it. And then hemp can certainly be in a, in a bioaccumulator. Uh, it, it has a, has a number of ways to both, yeah, kind of clean up what's there, and then uh, and then and then create better products. Or after we've done the done the cleanups, we've got some mitigation first, and then some adaption. Uh, you know, with this plant, and we got a, and we're going to have a long ways to go on that because we you know frankly we have we know we have federal farm policy and a federal farm bill uh, that effectively keeps everybody doing what they're doing. Uh, as I look around at my neighbors and even some uh, members of my own family, it's just. It's really hard to extract yourself from this structure that we've set up, you know, under the federal farm bill program for corn farmers, because mm -hmm. uh, we have a banking system that requires them to be in that system uh, and enjoying the benefits of the multi-parallel crop insurance and the, you know, and the and the, uh, the, the, the the subsidy payments and such. It's just they're they're you know they're they're trapped in that system, and so just getting this plant descheduled is just the first step of many we, we have to do. I, you know, I'm very excited about, you know, taking this next step, but, uh, you know, we've, we've created this problem, uh, the, these problems, you know, over, over multiple decades and we aren't, we aren't going to solve them in a year or two. So, yeah. Michael, Michael, oh, can I, sorry, can I ask you a question? Do you, with Mitch McConnell's, um, introduction of the new bill to, you know, to, uh, um, deregulate this plant from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2, et cetera, et cetera. Does that pave the way for some agricultural subsidies for hemp? Well, there are two things. Uh, McConnell's bill will be to completely deschedule if, if, I, if we, if uh, the way he, he announced it. And the, the, the bill in the House is to completely deschedule. It will take it, it won't reschedule, it will deschedule. And thus, returning it back to to uh, to an agri an agricultural crop right. would open up the possibilities uh, for subsidies. But the, I I think we're we're an industry a that isn't seeking subsidies. I think there are certain safety nets like crop insurance uh, that that every farmer is going to need, regardless of whether they're growing Christmas trees or poinsettias or or industrial mm -hmm. hemp or corn. Right. Uh, they all they all need a, an insurance safety net. But I think I think the best argument, uh, you know, for this transition under of our ag policy that we desperately need uh, is that you know we're not at the table seeking subsidies. Uh, we want we want the we want the right to be able to grow and compete because we know we can. Uh, and uh, uh, so I, I you know the subsidy question is not one that comes up. And and frankly, I think the pressures on our federal budget uh, over time are going to keep are going to keep uh, even the current subsidy system, you know, under pressure to ratchet itself back.
one of the things about the subsidy system, which I think most people don't realize, is how much it actually does cost the United States taxpayer. Uh -huh. And the only reason that the agricultural community uh, needs the subsidies, from what I understand, from what I've uh, studied on the climate side of things, is the unsustainable farming practices and, and Monsanto and that loop of you know, not being able to harvest your own seeds and replant your crops. Instead, you have to buy something from someone else that is really unaffordable for a lot of these farmers. And we've seen it in other countries, too, who get hooked into that loop, you know, and they don't have the subsidies that they have in the United States to grow uh, Monsanto's corn, but yet they, they get looped into it. And once they've started, it's really tough to go backwards and, and start doing it the sustainable way because you've already contaminated your soil and that sort of thing. I mean, Michael, you'd know a lot more about this than I do, but I, I just wonder, you know, when you're talking about the subsidies, if people really understand that it's going to save a lot of taxpayer money to allow hemp to compete because, you know, they'll be using fewer and fewer subsidies for growing hemp where, you know, to use for the same things that they're using corn for. Is, am I on the right track there? You're, you're absolutely right. And we, we have a lot of, you know, a lot of stories to tell, and that is certainly one of them. And sadly, you know, what we have in, in quote-unquote, food companies in the United States, you know, running, you know, basically you know, influencing federal policy were chemical companies that became seed companies that became food companies, which are all designed to make sure we, we you know, everything in that system has to use, their chemicals that are, you know, as, as part of that, that's why glyphosate has become just so, you know, uh, just so widely used in, in, uh, in, in this country. Uh, so we've got that, you know, you know, we, we have that issue and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and to your point, you know, we're, we, the, the farmers, the farmers are stuck there. This is about, again, about, you know, telling our story. And I think as, as we talked about earlier with these kids and, you know how quick something can can change. Uh, this feels a lot like you know what happened with 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 gay marriage, for instance. When you know, you get to a tipping point and it just happens, you know, you just wake up one day and it's it's it's, mm -hmm. it, it's gone. You know, and I think we're you know, we're getting very close to tipping points on a number of other social issues as well. And I think we're we're there. You know, we're we're very close to there. These these young kids and the, the, those that will be voting for the first time and those that have maybe just voted for the first time last time or skipped last time because they were just so frustrated with the whole system, you know, have, have awakened. And I think these, these young kids are going to help lead us, you know, into the future. And they have, you know, they have, uh, uh, they're, they're, they, they just have little patience for, you know, I'd say, you know, farm bill policy that gives us, you know, gives us what we, what we have right now. Nobody wants that. We, you can look at the pure data and see the out-migration from rural counties and the places in this country where we have the most incredible natural resources, whether that be soil, wind, you know, the, the ability to grow biomass, ability to, to generate renewable electricity, the things that should give us vibrant rural communities, and we have ghost towns. Something is very, very wrong. We, anybody who's looking at it, those of us who see this know what the problem is it's 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 it's, it's much of it rooted in this farm bill policy mm. so we have got to change this and we've got to come to a i think a new national consensus of what's important to us are these rural communities important you know do we you know should we be feeding ourselves in a very different way should we be generating our energy in a very different way and you know and how do we you know how do we make the interior of our country and these rural communities strong again 
hemp, hemp plays so many, in so many places in that conversation. Uh, and, and, and as I see, if I, and I, and if I look at my, my, my small community and look at the young kids have come, that have come back that are part of some of the, the grows for, for hemp for CBD, for, for example, uh, they're, they're very excited about it. They're, they're coming back because this plant is luring them back because it's an, you know, it's, it's full of excitement. They're never going to come back to grow corn <laughs> or yeah. wheat about that, but they will come back and try to figure out how to make hemp work for them and how to make it work for their community. And I think that that is really the magic of this plant. Well, one of the things that's really beautiful about the Hemp for Victory campaign too, um, when I was speaking with you and Michael Nelson, about that. He is from that younger generation. And if you can somehow ingratiate yourself with the youngsters who are just now starting to vote in that age group with Hemp for Victory, I think that we can probably look forward to some, because they're very smart. I mean, these kids that were out there uh, last week, for example, in Washington, you know, the speeches just gave me chills. And, and, and you see the passion and, and how they're really um, seeing the potential devastation for their own futures if we don't start changing certain things. So, I mean, how, how focused on the younger generation will you be with Hemp for Victory? Well, as you know, Micah is a member of our board, and we're, we're going to be very focused uh, on, 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 that, on that part of our of our population, the millennials, uh, we see Micah is a, is a, is a leading voice, the lead voice in this, uh, to that millennial community, um, you know, on this issue and on, on, on a number of other issues, but, but we do believe that, you know, from the bottom up, you know, the, this is, this is, these kids are going to, these kids are key, uh, to our success. Yeah, I would think so. And uh, Greg, I want to get back to you um, because I learned recently that there were some hemp producers who were looking into supplying hemp to Puerto Rico to help them rebuild. Do you know anything about that? There are there are actually several um, groups that are looking at potentially doing something to help Puerto Rico. They've lost over 70,000 homes down there. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's really, it comes down to who's, uh, who's really got the money to do it. You know, I mean, um, there's a lot of talk and you get you know, devastation like that brings about a lot of, uh, a lot of interest and a lot of, um, uh, anxiety as to what can be done, but really it comes down to logistics. Can we get the material there? Um, is it cost effective, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I'm planning, if I can, I would like to be part of uh, helping to grow hemp down there, helping to process the hemp down there, and then teaching them to build with the hemp down there, as opposed to importing and exporting out of America or anywhere else for that matter. Because, I mean, hemp is a plant that can be grown pretty much anywhere on the planet. I mean, Senator, um, uh, Representative Cynthia Thalen in, in Hawaii, for example, she spearheaded a, 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 um, a trial back there in 1999. And I know Michael knows, knows Cynthia. Um, and, um, you know, she's recently done another one with, uh, with the University of Hawaii. I mean, you, we can grow hemp pretty much anywhere on the planet. So this is, you know, this is God's given plant to humanity for food, fuel, shelter, and jobs. 
um, there's no reason we can't, you know, teach people to grow it down there, take the seeds, grow it, farm it, process it, and then build houses with it. Yeah, and I, I think uh, you, it's a really good point to to introduce the agricultural aspect of it to a place like that because I think that a good portion of the cost of embracing hemp when you're doing a build on a home or whatever is the cost of shipping it. I oh. mean, there's just no infrastructure. I know. It's, it's, it's pretty hard. When you think about it, it costs a, a gallon of diesel to transport a gallon of diesel. That's, that's the reality of, of the petrochemical world that we live in. So, you know, it costs us twice as much for the material to import it into the United States from afar. When we can grow it in the United States, we can, we can save all that, uh, all that diesel fuel and cost, carbon cost even, to have it grown in the United States for, for, for processing and utilization in the United States. I mean, there are so many things we can do with it. I mean, I'll just to give you a little ditty, a little side um, thing that may be, may be irrelevant to you guys, I don't know, but plumbing tape is, you know, has been around forever. You know, hemp plumbing tape, right? The, the, the plumbers use it to wrap around the, the, the threads to, to put them together for plumbing. And, you know, in a little old country like New Zealand with 4 million people, I come from a town of, of 60,000 people, and the two major plumbing supply houses there, they go through 100 kilograms, which would be 250, 220, 240 pounds of hemp plumbing tape every month. Wow. Just, just imagine <laughs> utilizing that in America. <laughs> I mean, the plumbers don't like using Teflon tape. They want to use hemp plumbing tape. Wow, that would be a great thing to introduce. And, you know, someone who had the wherewithal, the resources to start a business like that could make bank on it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there are, there's over 30,000 products, Snowden, that we can make from hemp, from this wonderful plant. Yeah, without you know, losing trees I, and without drilling for oil that, and wrecking the Arctic. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, in, uh, in January of 13, which was just the, just after Colorado had passed Amendment 64 that really started the, you know, the dominoes, you know, falling uh, to get us to today, uh, that was the, you know, really a seminal event. Um, I, I was interviewed by uh, Juliet Ellicrin at the Washington Post. And, you know, my, my comment to start the article off was, can we just stop being stupid? And that's, you know, really where it's five years later, we're getting a little less stupid than we were. But, you know, we well, let's just stop being stupid. We have all these opportunities, Greg, so we could be growing this in our in our backyard. We could be creating all of this economic activity, you know, in this country, you know, made right here and recreating uh, these opportunities in our rural communities. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's 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 there that, that, that once again, it is only failed policy that is keeping us from doing this. We know we have every tool we need to fix this problem. If policy will just, if this bad, if we can just get this bad policy behind us. Well, and it seems that there are enough people out there who believe so strongly in this, that it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't cost the U S government anything to just allow the industry to thrive. I mean, if we just get out of our own way, we could really make it happen. Yes. Uh, that's yeah that's the bottom line snowden i mean we have you know so many uses for the hemp and also for our pets and animals and even production animals 
And, you know, hemp has been, I mean, we've proven over the years that hemp bedding that comes from the inner, inner Woody's, Woody's core of the plant will reduce chicken mortality by 20%, right? We've proven that the, the seed cake that comes out of processing or called cold expeller pressing the, uh, the seeds for oil will reduce the uh, cholesterol in the eggs that we consume, and they're all organic. I mean, come on, people, let's wake up. Let's get, let's get to the voting polls and hip hip hooray. it's a no-brainer i mean seriously it's such a no-brainer and it it's so frustrating to know enough about it to see just how incredibly ridiculous it's been and you know the the people who've kept it the commercial interests and the special interests that have actually gone so far out of their way spent millions or or billions over the last 80 years to try to keep it out of uh legal commerce it seems like a crime against humanity, to be honest. But, you know, at this point, we can't really look back on that. All we can do is move forward. And hopefully enough people will begin to understand it. I mean, in my initial opening, I was thinking there are maybe three people left who still believe that hemp is going to make hippies high. <laughs> and <laughs> and then there are three legislators that are being told that they need to convince everybody that hemp will make hippies high and to keep it illegal. And it's just so frustrating. Yeah. It is this perpetuation of this. We, we've institutionalized these lies and the myths over the years. They, they started out as lies and then became the truth and became myth. And, and uh, we've, we've instilled, and, that, and that's why we, you know, why I think, you know, this has been, you know, the, 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 the bureaucracies under this legislation are, or maybe yet where we'll still have, have some battles at, at DEA and, until it is descheduled because it, we have just institutionalized this, uh, the, the, the stupidity. Oh, well, if you, if you tell a lie enough, it becomes someone's truth. And, I mean, we see it in politics all day long lately, especially, you know, and uh, the information wars are just astonishing. But you'd think that we've come far enough as a country that people are intelligent enough to be able to make up their mind about it once they hear the truth. But the problem is whose truth do they believe? Well, so I'll give you a a couple fun examples from Capitol Hill, you know, to that end, Uh, two summers ago when we were making rounds, uh, you know, on the, on the previous bill on the the 114th on the industrial hemp farming act, I was in the office of a very senior Midwestern Senator uh, from a corn state and uh, he started the conversation in his rebuttal to my, to my statement that we needed to, to legalize and bring this back, that he didn't believe it was economical so that, we should, so that there was really no need to, to legalize it. And to my response was, well, you know, in all due respect, Senator, if, if economic viability is your benchmark, well, then we better throw corn on Schedule 1 because corn is not a viable you know, you know, it's not a viable crop without your your subsidy and your whole system around the, the subsidization of that. Um, and so it got a little quiet. And then he said, well, um, how are, where are you going to find all the people to, to harvest this? You know, it's all hand harvested. There's, there's no way you're going to, you know, you know, find the labor for this. And I happened to have my iPhone with me and, and hit the, hit my YouTube button and pulled up the, uh, the John Deere combine. Um, uh, harvesting, you know, very in a very mechanized and efficient manner, and in Europe, uh, and this senator has happened to be from a state that where John, Dine, John Deere combines might be 
manufactured. And I want <laughs> to ask him, is this mechanized enough for you, Senator? He had no idea. Absolutely <laughs> no. Well, who was it that, that killed the decorticator um, back in the 19, early 1940s, late 30s, uh, 1940s, that actually would would uh, uh, strip the hemp as it was being harvested, and it just eliminated tons of work later down the road. Yeah, I've forgotten the name, but that you know that happened just at the kind of on the uh, kind of in in in, uh, in in the sequence of time with with popular mechanics calling hemp the next billion dollar crop. Um, and they were making that claim because we were just on the purpose of of mechanization and decortication and. We we're going to be able to get, you know, produce a lot of product for for much cheaper than we had than we had in the past. You guys are being yeah. so diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's uh, it's not just an online podcast. You have to remember this. <laughs> we share the airwaves with somebody who might be offended if we really say it like we think it is. <laughs> I'm trying to remember that, Snowden. <laughs> exactly exactly so well i'm really eager to hear what happens with the hemp for victory and um i'm even more eager to see if we will get the bipartisan camaraderie over the hemp bill i mean i really was very surprised to hear our senate majority leader speak out in favor of it i was pleasantly surprised you know and i think with the bipartisanship that's happening around it i cannot see it failing unless it's some financial reason that's preventing any senator from voting on it i mean look what happened here in arizona when the governor vetoed the hemp bill after our uh, state legislature came together for the first time ever passed something almost unanimously and then he vetoed it and for what and it was the hemp bill here so yeah. they, when you said when we talk about you know who's going to lose you know is it going to be you know in your case i think there's a, there's a strong case to be made that it was the pharmaceutical uh, companies in that pharmaceutical space in, in arizona that were putting a lot of pressure on your governor uh to veto we, we know that these you know these full spectrum products uh you know, are amazing for our health. I don't know a person uh, around me that's using them that doesn't believe, believe that. They, you know, we have an endocannabinoid system that's finally once again uh, being fed. So, uh, you know, I think that there is, uh, you know, and there's, and, and, and for them, for in particular, there's, there's not a lot of money to be made in healthy people, right? So, you know, we gotta, yeah, we gotta keep doing what we're doing. So I think that, I think the, uh, the, the pushback that we'll see uh, may well come from, you know, from that, you know, from 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 that arena. Uh, if we have pushback, mm -hmm. um, it'll it'll come from there, I believe. I think you're absolutely right about yeah. that. I do, and uh, you know, Greg, I wanted to ask you this because people have been asking me, and I don't have an answer for it. But you know, in these states where hemp is not quite legal, like let's take Kansas for example, can someone build a house there? Absolutely. I mean, if, uh, that's why I asked earlier about whether it was Kansas in Kansas City or Kansas in Missouri, because we did we did a hemp house uh, last late last year in Kansas, Missouri, um, and uh, you know, right um, in in the center of the country, basically, we did we we did a nice twenty three hundred square foot hemp house with a family who um, dad is the pastor at the local church, and mom is uh, works for one of the airlines. 
and they have an epileptic son. And we had turned them on to uh, CBD some, uh, some months ago, and it's been extremely beneficial and helpful for them. And at the same time, they get all of their all of their friends and relatives and and people from the church came over, and got involved in putting hemp into the house. And they were all like amazed. It's like, wow, this plant takes twelve to fourteen weeks to grow. This is insulating your house. Oh my God, this is wonderful. And so you know, for us, it's all about education and pretty much everywhere in the world that we've gone because we built the first permitted homes in the United States. We, we designed and built a passive house using local labor and materials in, um, in Manitoba for the Ministry of Housing. We built in Mexico. We built the first houses in, in, uh, in Australia where they get tons of uh, you know, fires and we've got a fire rating down there for, for a bush fire attack level. Um, and then in New Zealand where we get lots of, lots of um, earthquakes, we get about 4,000 tremors a year. And uh, we've we, you know, we've passed with flying colours in all of these countries, where it all started with education, with the with the local municipalities and the councils and the building and safety um, authorities, to say, listen, this material is non-structural infill. This is the insulation for your house. It's going to reduce, it's going to reduce your energy costs by at least three quarters. And you know, we it's a renewable crop. We can, you know, we can grow this crop in you know in three to four, uh, um, three to four months. And you know, here we are, without without shipping it across the, without shipping it across the ocean, we have a material that we can insulate all the new homes in your country. And slowly but surely, they are coming on board. And it's just, it's all about the education, as Michael will, uh, will attest to. You educate, 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 teach a man to fish for, you know, fish for a life. That's the way it goes. Right. And then with city permitting and the local law enforcement, when you, when you have a container full of hemp crossing the border into a state like Kansas that still thinks that, you know, hemp should be illegal because of the drug aspect of it. We um, have- yeah, we have no problems importing the hemp right now. There are no tariffs on it. Um, the odd container gets pulled aside for inspection, but that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's just a money-grabbing exercise. Um, uh-huh. Had you know the first container I imported into New Zealand, I had uh, the customs officials. I had seven of them, and a brigade came over with their X-ray machine and, and X-ray one thousand bags out of a container like I was a drug smuggler. And, you know, after that, you know, clean bill of health, no problem at all. I mean, we've had that occasionally in the United States, but realistically, no, there's no problems with, with bringing the hemp into any state in the United States. Um, it, is, it is, we can't bring bales across the border because they may contain viable seeds at this stage, as Michael could probably attest to. But we can bring the processed herd, which we have in compressed bales, you know, across the Atlantic Ocean into anywhere in the United States, which we are doing now on a consistent basis for chicken bedding, for horse bedding, for building, pet bedding, you name it. So really, we need, we need to be growing this domestically. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've interviewed two of the, what I would consider anyway, the foremost authorities on cannabis law. One would be Bob Hoban and the other one would be Keith Strop on two separate occasions, and I asked each of them the same exact question, because there is still so much confusion in the federal law 
about this, but when the case against the DEA for importing hemp products into the United States and selling anywhere in the States, you know, that was a federal court that ruled that indeed it's legal to import and sell hemp products anywhere in the United States. And then when they separated out CBD, for example, uh, about a year and a half ago, the DEA registry, they gave CBD, the molecule CBD on its own, a numerical class or a numerical code within Schedule 1, which then, you know, people were all up in arms thinking, oh, well, CBD is now going to be illegal. But there's, there's still so much ambiguity over that because, you know, the federal government is telling you, well, it is illegal. And the Ninth Circuit Court ruling was saying, well, it is perfectly legal. But then some will tell you, like Keith Strop said to me, that's only in the Ninth Circuit states where that's perfectly legal. But what about the states and the other circuits? So I, I think until we <laughs> sort that out in this, this piece of legislation and that's you know, currently on the table in the Senate and, and in, in the House as well, that should clear it up. I mean, if they can just deschedule hemp, then we won't have any of these issues. That is correct, and and I think to and to the end of, of 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 where we're seeing this this part of this go mainstream again. I meant to mention it earlier, Snowden. I don't know if you had a chance. Uh, I happened to watch Bull. That's one of the few things I do watch on on TV. And on this Tuesday night on CBS, uh, the entire episode uh, was about a court case of a of a mother with an uh, a mother who was a doctor who had uh, a child with with leukemia, and then she had patients. Uh, and they, the, they all lived in a non-legal state, and she had her her son was using the CBD oil and was having a you know a marvelous response, much like we would have seen with any of the uh, the kids that Sanjay Gupta has done stories on, and uh, and and so she went to another you know to a legal state and, and brought it home, and the federal government would you know brought in the big guns from the, the assistant U.S. attorney, and they were going to put her in jail for thirty years, and you know at the end she was exonerated. You know, by the by the jury, and and I thought they did a really good job. There's only a couple little things I would have done differently, but I think someone who didn't doesn't dig down to the weeds as much as I would would wouldn't have caught it. But I think you know we now have this entering into the the realm of standard broadcast media on a, on, a, on a weeknight where they're talking about this, and they and the the job they did was the, just just showing the absurdity <laughs> of this law. And and how and why would we sit there having a federal government trying to put this woman in prison for twenty years when she's just trying to heal people? It was a great episode, and I was thrilled to see that we're now having these kind of conversations in nightly shows like that. Yeah, I I agree, and actually, I did see that, and it just drove home some of the problems that people have had. Like, there's a mother in Utah, for example, who had Child Protective Services show up at her doorstep because her daughter was being given CBD, and they threatened to take her child away, and they still won't pass any laws, and it was just such a nightmare for her. And I can only imagine this is happening in all of the states that haven't passed anything yet, where the lack of the lack of education. So yeah, I'm really happy to see it's going into sort of these mainstream TV shows. And you know, I think a tipping point was when Sanjay Gupta did Weed on CNN, that series. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of that kind of programming. It does hit people who don't automatically go out and look for that information. Watching the bull, I thought, you know, when when we'll really win this game is when I have 
Betty White bringing back the old Golden Girls, and they're using CBD in the. And we, we, <laughs> and I know. Betty White oh my is. God. I'm convinced Betty White is the key to this. We, I got to get to Betty. We invite her to come to one of the episodes, Greg. And and speaking of television, uh, Greg, what's uh, the next step for your home building? It's the HTTV reality hemp build series, I think whatever Diana's got it named as, but it's a, uh, it's pretty fun. You know, we did, uh, we were up in Canada for the first uh, episode. We were in Portland, Oregon for a tiny house. Uh, we were in Northern, Northern um, California for a roundhouse that we did with some people up there that escaped the fires. Um, and we were over in Missouri, as I said, with the, the pastor and the, and the, um, the hamster over there. And we've got several more episodes um, lined up to do for our reality show. And uh, it's all about spreading the word and teaching people, you know, build with hemp. And and we're happy to educate and um, regenerate. Let's go. Hemp, hemp, hooray. (laughs) Hemp, hemp, hooray. I'm with you on that one. Well, you know, we'll, we'll keep everyone posted on the progress because I know that uh, you're looking for a network home right now. So that I think is going to be around the corner. And um, once that's solidified, then you'll probably just be off and running. So it's very exciting. Yes, it is. Congratulations, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, well, I am uh, I'm grateful to have had this conversation with, with both of you, and I'm, we will do it again. And Michael, you're still planning on joining me for the Hemp Panel in Pittsburgh for the World Medical Cannabis Conference and Expo in yeah. April? I have it in my calendar. When is Fantastic. When is that? When is that? It's uh, April, the weekend of April 15th, and uh, I'll post information about that up on our website as well, but it's called, if anybody's interested in looking it up, it's called the World Medical Cannabis Conference and Expo, and it's in Pittsburgh, which is becoming quite progressive on this topic, actually, and last year was the first year they had their medical cannabis law, and I think that they're working on some hemp legislation, if I'm not mistaken so it should be pretty interesting and then the noco hemp festival or uh hemp conference no that's coming up next uh, next week so will both of you be there we will we will yes fantastic <laughs> and speaking <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, not sure they can, I'm not sure they can they could take two of us in the same place <laughs> <laughs> yeah but michael they will <laughs> but no doubt we'll be talking again soon and you know please feel free to send me any updates and so um once again it's time to bring another show to the close if you'd like to learn more about what michael bowman and greg flaval are doing please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com and click podcast to find today's episode and there you will find their bios and uh, links to their websites and other updates. So we have so many people to thank. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Healthcare, Alpine Miracle and Compassionate Certification Centers. We certainly could not be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Eric Goodall, the composer of our beautiful theme song, Evergreen, and our producers at our new studio, DigiLabs. So thank you again, guys, for making us shine. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. 
I'm Snowden Bishop inviting you to join us again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Join us at the World Medical Cannabis Conference and Expo at the Pittsburgh David L. Lawrence Convention Center, April 12th through the 14th, and meet investors, networkers, new products, and professional athletes. Ex-NHL star Philadelphia Flyers Riley Cote, Super Bowl champion Marvin Washington, and more. Register today for early bird pricing at cccregister.com or by calling 888-316-9085. Again, that's cccregister.com com or 888-316-9085. Presented by Compassionate Certification Centers.